Subtle skills, big results. Welcome to the Ninja Selling Podcast. Welcome back to the Ninja Selling Podcast. Matt and Garrett are back with you again, and I am excited. We're going to go down a, a fun, crazy path today. Hopefully, you guys can all keep up with the craziness of where we're going to go. At the same time, I want to welcome you all to go check out the podcast page that we have for the, uh, the podcast page we have on Facebook. I don't know why Facebook messes me up so much. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> the Ninja Podcast community on Facebook. Go check it out. You can just type in and search The Ninja Selling Podcast. You will find us. Easiest way to do it. If you want to learn more about Ninja Selling and all the installations we have coming up and all the offerings that we have that you can learn more about Ninja, go check that out at ninjaselling.com. And uh, you should find all your answers there as well as coaching and all of our wonderful coaches. If you want to have your uh, feet held to the fire a little bit, take your business to the next level. We got people that can help you do that. Well, Matt, good morning, sir. Good morning, Garrett. And good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited uh, for today's episode because we get to talk a little bit about data, why it matters and why it doesn't in some way, you know, when you know the data, because people are going a little bit crazy out there right now with pricing and appreciation and, you know, all of these things. And it's like, wait a minute, let's, let's really look at this and try to understand what does it mean and what does it not mean? From my position, I think that's even more important. What do the numbers not mean to you? So you brought this one up, Gary, because you were texting me and you're like, wait, I'm looking at this report, which is the most recent at our time of recording this Q2 FHFA house price index report, which was just came out, I think for us, maybe it was like last week or something like that. And it does tell quite a fun story. Well, the reason this all started, Matt, was I was coaching somebody and we were talking about a property they have on the market right now for 1.6 is what it's on the market for. And it's not getting any showings. Well, it's getting some showings. It's really not moving forward. I think they actually just got an offer on it, but the offer's on the lower side. It's like 1.4. You didn't tell me that. Oh my goodness. Well, no, and I'm not saying take the offer. But the person on the property is basically saying the owner of it is like, yeah, I need to walk with 1.5. If it's not 1.5, like I won't accept the offer. And I'm like, well, hopefully they're going to counter. Like that's what they should do is they should counter and see if they can get what they want. Like they don't have to just take the 1.4. But I was like, where did they buy this property at? Like what was the purchase price on this property? And they actually pulled up the numbers and they're like, oh, they bought it for 500,000. And I was like, Okay, let's hold on here for a second. And I was like, let's go look at some numbers. I want to take you on a little journey. And this is where, and I've been doing this a lot with people lately, like, let's go look at the FHFA document. Let's look at the you know HPI report and figure out what the appreciation rates are looking at out there right now. And it's funny, every single time I've done this with people, they're like, oh, I haven't looked at these numbers. I'm like, you need to be looking at these numbers. Like, you need to have these numbers so that you can have an educated conversation with your client about like, okay, let's talk about what you're really looking at here right now. Because this primary person had taken this idea of 1.5 and they had built a future life off this idea, well, I'm going to sell it for 1.5. And they have now, they've got a new place in a new area. And now I have to sell this for this amount to make that next life work. And it's like, where did in the world one, did you ever just go like, I'm going to take scoop all this money out here and go? I mean, I get it. But at the same time, like we blew this out of proportion and in a crazy way. 
of like what I think I'm entitled to out of this property. And it's like, no, 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 no. Look at what you've done owning this property. Like this has been a run. Like we have never been able to look back on. And even at this idea of, let's say it sells for 1.4, pretty damn good run. Pretty damn good run. If you didn't have all this other outside information, you would have looked at 1.4 and gone like, give me that offer. Like I'm walking, like I'm out of here. Like done, sold, moving along with my life. But you have all these other distractions. It is so incredible. We're going to mention the psychology of money again in that book. They talk about ownership bias. And, you know, we have this so significantly when it comes to real estate. And, and what it basically is, is we overvalue the things that we own. We tend to put more value on things that we own than things that we do not own. Okay, maybe you can put an exception on things you desire, but even then you're going to try to negotiate that dream house, that dream car, whatever it is, right? Because you don't have the ownership bias yet. You see it all the time. Go on Facebook Marketplace and you can see ownership bias all over the place. Like, hey, I'm selling my 15-year-old couch. I want $1,000. It's like, we paid $2,000 for it. It's like, it's 15 years old. You should probably think about donating it. It's had some living. <laughs> it's, 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 it's seen some stuff. <laughs> yeah. You could see a whole lot of ownership bias just by going there. But then when it comes to real estate, oh man, it's so there because not only is this something that you own and cherish, it's the most likely the largest asset that you have financially. And you've been told time and time again that the investment strategy, quote unquote, along with it. And so that's in your head. And then, Garrett, we go look at these numbers that are in the FHFA that you pulled up. And it's like, whoa, let's put some perspective on what's happened over the last couple of years compared to the last two decades of appreciation trends. And it is shocking. Well, so this is where it started. I sent this text to you last night. Now, again, I've been looking at these numbers and, and talking to people about this here for a while. But if I look at the numbers and what I sent to you is, okay, so now again, Matt, we talked about this more because this is looking at all sales. This is not just purchases. All transactions. So it includes refinances. So when we look at those numbers, out of 246 cities, and I need everybody to think about this, out of the 246 metropolitan cities, that they keep stats on what's going on in these cities, 245 of them, okay, only one didn't make the cut, had over 12% appreciation. 134 of them out of 246 had over 20% appreciation. And we're talking about one-year appreciation. 18 of those cities had over 30% appreciation out of 246 cities that were documented and they tracked. Okay. Crazy. Crazy. What do you do with that? Well, and, and I think it does need some perspective. By the way, if anybody wants to see this stuff, go to fhfa.gov. And if you wanted to see their house price index report, you can scroll down and there's a button there. But at the top, if you go to data and tools and you hit tools, you can see a lot of these um, tables and things in the specific one you were looking at. That's all transactions. That's for cities, as you pointed out. If you go to states, states look at purchase only. Yeah, in this particular tool. That's correct. Which for helping guide people, obviously, on the buying and selling, the purchase only is going to be a better measure just because that actually takes into account the fair market. Buyers and sellers coming together. But for perspective, because someone might be like, all right, cool, 30%. If you haven't been paying attention to the real estate game for a while, like 30% in a year is insane. 
Matt, why don't we do it for two years in a row? I mean, seriously, like that's what we've also need to take into account. Also, this isn't just one year for some of these crazy cities. Right. Yeah. I mean, like you go back two years and it's like 30% each year. So that's, you get into 60% over the two years, which is nuts. And I'm going to go to the nationwide trend just because they calculate this quarter by quarter by quarter. And they have, they put this at the front of their quarterly reports, but just to give you a perspective on how crazy 30% in one year is, right? House price appreciation annualized from the end of the Great Recession, Q3 2011 to the beginning of the pandemic, Q2 2020. Annualized nationwide never hit double digits. The highest it was, was in the mid eights. And it was really good appreciation, just so we're all clear. Yeah. Yeah. And we were happy with that. It was looked at as recovery. People selling their homes in 2017, 18, 19 were like, woohoo, look at us. We're making some money. And then all of a sudden it just shot out of a canyon. Well, and it's funny when you look at the report, Matt, because when you go look at the actual PDF that they send out quarterly, there's a piece in there called the cumulative monthly house price change relative to prior peak for the US. And this is purchase only. And this is a line graph. This is a line graph and it's wonderful. You can print this out. You can sit down with your clients and be like, where did you buy your house? Just point on this thing where you bought your house. They're going to run out of room on this chart because the prior peak was now so long ago. (laughs) They're going to have to keep scrunching these things in, which is going to make this chart look even more ridiculous. Well, at least this one, and I look at it, so you have, there's one since 1991, and then the following one on page nine just starts it because it's the peak, which goes back to April of 2007, was the prior peak in, in appreciation. And it's nuts. So from there, prior peak, we're up by 76% purchase only, 76%. Not that long ago, Matt, I know for there are some people out there because I'm getting older and time is changing and relative, but 2007 was not that long ago. No, it wasn't, you know, particularly if you're in home ownership, right? And what's really crazy too, is you look at this recession that happened of depreciation and then the turn of appreciation to come back to zero, all of that 76.8% percent 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 happened since Jan 2016. So it's in six years, all of that has happened. Yeah. In six years. So that takes into account, you're right. 2007, all the way to 2016, January of 2016. Like that is not taken into account the 76% increase that we've had. You came up with a really cool exercise with this, right? It was an accident. I didn't come up with it. It was a total accident. It was kind of an accident, but we we had talked last time about the um, study that Larry shared with us about anchoring sellers into, hey, what did you pay for this house? And when, because I think that's relative as well. And so you take that same approach, you can pull this chart out and you can say, okay, so tell me, when did you buy your house? Do you want to run through it? Yeah, let's do it with you. Yeah, the house I'm currently in, I bought it in basically about April of... 2012. That's when I bought my house. How did you know? How did you know? That was brilliant, Garrett. Because if you look at this chart, man, you hit it You hit it right at the bottom. Literally like the market flatlined and I was like, maybe we should buy a house. This is the right time to do it because I predict 76, actually way over that. You're about 100% at this point. I predict that by the time we want to like, and we're not even looking at selling, but 10 years from now, 100%. 
Okay. Well, so, but you bought then, did you move from another house? I did. I had to say I had another home in town that we moved from to buy this house. And when did you buy that house? I bought that one really right around end of 2007, 2008. Ooh, that was a bad time to buy, Garrett. That was, that was, I mean, we were down a little bit, but that still wasn't probably that smart. So now did you sell that to buy your current house or did you hold on to it? Well, this is the house that we bought for 305. And this is the one we've talked about on future podcasts in the, in the past that uh, my real estate review I had done for me told me my property was worth 127000 So I bought for 305 and my realtor sat down with me and said, here's your real estate review. The neighbor's house just recently sold for 127000 mm. So you were in a bad position. You should have foreseen that. I mean, if you knew that buying in 2012 was such a good idea. <laughs> for everybody listening... I'm saying this for a reason because I feel like this is the thought process that goes inside people's heads when buying and selling personal residences. But facts are facts. You bought in 2008. It's 2012. You're looking at a pretty big slide, a loss of a six-figure quote-unquote loss, right? Yeah. So I had an option on that of writing a check for well over $100,000 to get away from it and to buy this property, which was an option. Also could stick a renter in it. So what'd you do? We stuck a renter in it. We stuck a renter in it until it's basically found enough in it that we could let it go because it wasn't a great rental. It wasn't one that like you're like, oh, this is great. We got a rental property. It was like, okay, we're going to turn this into a rental now. And it's not optimum. And there are weird little quirks with this property that don't make it easy to rent. And you didn't really cash flow from it either. It was negative $100 a month. So we had to write a check every month to have that property. Interesting. Now, when did you sell it? Uh, right around 2015, 2016. Okay. So you came out a little bit on top maybe, or about even on what you paid for it then. Yeah. And there was a moment, by the way, home ownership, Matt, right around 2011 that I sat around going like, well, we're going to be in this house for a while. (laughs) When we bought in 2012, every bit of me was saying, what in the world are we doing? Like we have buying this house we're currently in what are we doing right now? Because we're sitting in a house that we're severely underwater in and we're looking at buying what? But this is the craziness of time. And as we still kind of explore this graph, this for me brings up the whole, our home as an investment. And we've talked about this. We had a whole podcast dedicated to how your primary residence is not an investment and don't look at it that way because it can get you into trouble. I say, like, if you're going to buy your first house, you're doing what you can to save up your down payment. I would deploy that same exact strategy as soon as you buy that house. That way you don't have to bank on the equity in your current home to then supply the down payment for your next home. Now, if if appreciation happens like it has and you can use the equity in your home for a down payment on the next one, that's awesome. How cool is that? But if you don't plan on that, then you're going to be in a position like you were to be able to then go buy that next house and put a tenant in something so that you don't have to write a six-figure check to walk away from it. Well, and what's interesting, Matt, if I look back on this and I'm now thinking about it, it's like there are people going, oh, you would have been better being a renter during that time. And the reality is, is that when I look at that time frame and say, okay, would I have done anything different if I knew? Well, maybe I would have, but I do look at that, that that is one of my favorite houses I've ever owned. The shop that was on that property, the ability of remodeling it the way that we wanted to and fixing that home the way that we wanted to. The things that I was able to do that if I had a landlord, they would have kicked me out of it. Not saying I'm a bad person, but like I get experimental with my houses. 
Christmas lights and Halloween, those are things that the landlord would have come and said, like, you need to go. <laughs> you did what some of the property? Those are things that the, the freedom of homeownership make me look at and go, I wouldn't have changed a darn thing. I would have done it exactly the same way. And I'll say I was a renter during that period. And it's not like all of a sudden rents were super amazing. Now, it could be just where I was located, which is part of it. But I wouldn't have opted to be a renter. Even I mean, if you know, which we never know, this is the whole point, right? We never know. So the beauty of being in a rental is you can just write a check and walk away. And it's a small check, right? You just Or just let your lease expire, right? You just go away, do whatever you want. You can go on to the next thing. But your options are more limited than if you're looking to own something. And ultimately, when you look at this chart, again, coming back to this, you have more options in the home ownership field, like unless you're, hey, I like to move every year, which is fine. But if you can have the ability to hold on to something, you can ride anything out because you hear a lot of people right now and I hear and I know this data we're talking about goes to Q2 and people are saying, well, what about Q3? Prices are starting to come down. It's like, okay, even if prices are starting to come down, which in a lot of places they aren't, let's look at the relativity, okay? When we thought things were so horrible back in 08, right? We never saw a quarter of depreciation more than 2.9% nationwide, okay? Most of the negative appreciation happened in 08, and it was like 2.3, 2.8, And then 2009 and 2010 was kind of this like really, really slow depreciation. And so we thought that was horrible, nearly minus 3% in a quarter. And now we're not happy with 15% in one quarter? Come on, people. Like, you just got 15% last quarter and you're upset that you might be down 5% this quarter, which is probably not even the case. It's like, oh, so frustrating to me. Here's the cool thing I love about this graph that I really haven't spent much time on. But again, page nine of the PDF that's currently out for, was the second quarter report for FHFA. If you go to this page, if you were to work with your seller, and sit down with them. If you sat down with me, I'm a little bit odd because I've owned my home for 10 years. But I don't care if you've owned your home for three years, or the person you're talking to has owned it for three years, or two years, or you know, wherever they fall, and you just say, okay, so you're putting your home on the market right now, you know, find out what they want to sell it for. And then you say, okay, now point on this chart where you bought your house. All of a sudden you take okay, this price is fictitious price. They think that they want to have out of it and what they need to get out of it. You take the percentage of like growth out of it. You just have to have them point and understand where they fall in this timeline on here. It will start to get you to think. Like if you were sitting with me and I'm sitting here struggling over like, you know, could we sell it for this? Could we keep how much this? Where did we buy it from to where we're at right now? Just we're going to put it on the market and it's going to be awesome. Just stop. Let's not get stuck in pennies because literally in the the grand scheme of things, you're literally getting stuck in like individual dollars in the grand scheme of what, how crazy this has been over this last time. It's nuts. This is where I think there's so much data out here that we need to be understanding. We need to be able to sit down with our clients and show them this is what's really been going on. This is the journey that you as a homeowner have gone through right now. And it's been one of the most incredible journeys that you could possibly be on for home ownership. Been amazing. Yeah. And I think it can help set some perspective too, because over the next 10, 20 years, there may be another time like we saw in 2008 or just periods of just kind of flat appreciation, or maybe it goes a little bit down. And 
you want to be able to still be a trusted advisor for people in those situations as well. Because maybe somebody says, yeah, I bought my house. The chart looks a little different, let's say. And they're like, yeah, I bought my house in 2023 and it's 2030. And it's like, oh, it's down a little bit. One, we can't predict when life changes are going to happen for when you're going to need to buy and sell personal real estate, right? Because if it's an investment, it's like, all right, I'll just ride it out because I know in the long run, I'll come back up, right? So for personal property here, for personal residences, I think part of our role as real estate agents should be this education component over time about you know, the joys of home ownership, the lifestyle investment that's being made, as we talked about on our one episode, and how not relying on the financial performance of your largest asset, because here's the thing, it costs a lot of money to own real estate too. For those of you who are getting a mortgage, which is a lot of people, right? Most of your mortgage payment is interest. I mean, most of it is kind of like paying rent because you're borrowing that money to own the home because values have gone up so much. Then you have all of your utility bills. You have the things that you do to maintain your home. You have your air conditioning blows out and you're like, whoop, there it goes, three grand right there. It's more than that. I just had to do that. It's way more than that, Matt. Well, yeah, I guess I guess it depends on what it is. We got a lot of people with evaporator coils blowing up here in my neighborhood and then it's like, oh man, three grand to get this thing replaced. So you have all of these things that go into living in a home. And, and then as a real estate agent, we're like flying in there and being like, look at how well your investments performed when we haven't taken into their, you know, the factor, their cost basis. We haven't taken into a factor, their expenses or how much equity they really have in the home a lot of the times, because that's how you analyze an investment. Now coming in as an agent to say, Hey, here's how your asset is performing. Now we can have a good conversation. And then also you can have the conversation with, hey, what's your dream? Where do you guys want to be? Hey, maybe talk to your financial advisor, talk to your wealth planner and start putting a plan in place to start setting aside that money now because then you're going to be in a great position, particularly if you have equity and you've saved money, then you got a lot of available funds for a down payment to do some wonderful things with. And I think I think as homeowners, sometimes we get a little lazy with our own finances because we're like, well, I own real estate. Everything's going to be okay. It's like, yeah, until your life change happens in the beginning of 2009 and you're like, oh, whoops. That was an eye-opening moment. And again, the more I'm looking at this graph, I keep looking at Matt and going like, well, okay, so graphs are interesting because if you look in like the stock market, you can take a particular stock and zoom in on it and say, okay, but like, okay, so for the last five days, what does it look like for the stock and how it's performed? And you can make a lot of predictions over like, oh my gosh, like, look what this thing has done. It, it you know, went up this much and went down by this much. Then went up by this much and went down by this much. Like, I'm not sure this is safe. Like, this is a little crazy right now. And then you push out a month and you go, so now how is it performing? If you have to look at that graph and say, okay, is this a good stock or a bad stock to put your money into? Very different analytics now that you're looking at. Well, let's push out now six months. Let's push out a year. Let's push out five years. How does this stock perform? Where is it sitting at? you all of a sudden can make a, a real prediction over, okay, what does it mean to hold on to the stock long-term? What does it mean when you're looking at it as like month to month or day to day? Is it safe? There's a lot of stocks out there. If you just looked at day to day and you're like, is this a safe place to put my money? Is it a safe place to move forward in? You would be like, absolutely not. That is the scariest looking stock I have ever seen. It's up, it's down, it's all over the place. It makes no sense. But you start pushing out long term, it makes a lot of sense. You take since 2000 or sorry, uh, 1991, and you start looking at this graph and you're like, 
wow, okay, long term, it's had ups, it's had downs, but long term, it is projected up. I probably won't be analyzing this in 50 years, but I would love to see this graph in 50 years. Oh, it's going to be interesting. If you actually go to the the St. Louis Fed website, they have home prices trending from 1963. Okay. You want to see 2008 look like nothing. <laughs> Blow out the graph from 1963 to today. Now, it does make from 2020 to today look insane because we went from an average price of 374 all the way up to 525 just in a matter of two years, which is whoa, right? When you think about those things. And then you have the prior, you know, from 1963, it's like this, this like nice trend. And so in 50 years, Garrett, I do think that even this like really big jump is just going to start to like get smoothed out by other things. Assuming there aren't other things that happen, obviously, because it's not just housing prices, it's broader economic stuff. And so it's like, as I was talking with somebody the other day and they said, oh my gosh, like our months of inventory has changed by this much. We're now up to three. We're now up to, you know, I haven't heard anybody say four months of inventory. And again, it's like watching the stock market though in a very short period of time and going like, ah, whoa, interest rates, same thing. It's like, whoa, way up, way down. Like, it's just like, whoa, like, Stop. Like when you look at it from a long projection of what you're talking about here, it's like soften the curve out a little bit. Take a look at what this really means long term for you. We just need to understand the data. That's why we we kind of went down this path today, Matt, of like, take a step back, look at the look at the information that's presented to you, help people understand what it means to be a homeowner. Matt, I'd love where you went down of like, let's analyze your asset because there are a lot of expenses that go into owning this home. And liabilities. The value of your liability, because most people put 20% down, that means your value of your liability is 80% of the value of your house, right? So the value of the asset, most of it is not even yours. And so that's something to pay attention to with all of this factored in. And, and I think the biggest thing is trying to help people not get overly excited or as we started this, planning your future based on what I want my house to sell for versus you know what equity is really there and accessible because there's also the fees of selling too that a lot of sellers don't factor into they're like oh cool i got 100k in, in equity sitting here it's like well more like you know 94 93 depending on are you going to invest some money to get it sold maybe 90 okay oh 90 that's still that's still good it's like yeah but if we factor in like you know the where the market is and everything it might be more like this and and if i was planning on making a hundred thousand dollar move and now i'm like oh i only have 75 which is still amazing but i'm like oh now i'm disappointed it's like you're disappointed that you just made seventy five thousand. if i was a realtor i'd be sitting down with my client who is making this plan i think this is part of our job is to help them say okay we're currently at point a right now our goal is to get to point b and we're going to go on this journey and let's let's before you start working on B down here, like what that life's going to look like and what it's going to be. Let's look at all the parts that we have to work with. And for the most part, instead of them building up this, what I'm going to get out of this house and what it's going to look like, that's going to be awesome. So I can make this work out here. Let's be conservative upfront because even the conservative numbers are ridiculous. Yeah. And when you be conservative with it, now you have padding. Now we have room. Now there's not that upset of like, I started working on point B down here, which means I have to sell this thing for 1.5, otherwise B doesn't work. 
why did you dig yourself into a hole like that of this vision and this dream that you have out here? Like there's so much wiggle room that this could have been a very easy transition, making you move down the path of life. Really for the most part, like take advantage of the easy parts of life. Like the parts that don't require a whole lot of stress and a whole lot, like this is a way you can make selling right now and moving on to that next journey that you have. It's a lot of padding. There's so much padding right now. Like why make it difficult? Why stress yourself out? Help these people see where all the padding is. I like that, the padding. And yeah, I understand that emotions and everything play into this and we're not in control of, of what other people do. And, and I get it, right? And so hopefully from listening to us talk about this stuff, it's inspiring you to just go look at data and understand it a little bit so that you can also help your clients understand it in a way that brings some more clarity to them, right? There's always uncertainty, as we talked about in the, just the last episode. But looking at this stuff to give a little bit of perspective so that they can make a decision that works really well for them. And that's what it's all about versus getting just panicky. That's never going to solve anything. No, I think a lot of the, the panicky happens again when you've backed yourself into a corner that you didn't need to back yourself into. Yeah, that's true. So FHFA.gov is the place to go for these reports. There's some really cool tools in there. You can even use a... Um, House price index calculator, which is kind of cool. I plugged my house in there the other day and I put a big smile on my face when I saw that. You basically can plug in the quarter that you purchased your home and the quarter that you want to look at the value. So you can even do historical too. You can say, hey, what about, you know, do a time frame in the past and it'll spit out your new quote unquote value based on the appreciation in your state and your metro area, which obviously. It's just another AVM. It doesn't factor into how you'd want to price your house to sell or anything like that, but it's kind of cool. It's kind of a neat little tool. So put a smile on my face anyway. As of right now, it's a warm and fuzzy. It's like, ooh, that's nice. Yeah. Now in 20 years, maybe they're going to be like, ooh, not happy anymore. <laughs> Frowny face. You got 20 years of happiness though. 20 years of happiness, man. You can't put a price on that. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, it's good. So I appreciate you guys listening to us talk about this. I know we didn't like talk about analyzing numbers. We wanted to just talk about them as in its entirety to give perspective on you know what this is. So if you have people worried about a quote shift or a decline, we got padding. And so if you guys want to talk more about this, you can drop a comment into the Facebook group. You know, you guys can debate each other about pricing and trends and stuff. I mean, it's always healthy to talk about it and get different perspectives from other people in different parts of the country too. So join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash the Ninja Selling Podcast, or just search the Ninja Selling Podcast in Facebook. I'm sure you'll find it. There's over 9,000 people in it, so you can't miss it. It's the largest Facebook group out there associated with Ninja and the fastest growing Facebook group in the world, hands down. And who doesn't want to be a part of that? <laughs> so uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for joining our group. And if you want to learn any more about Ninja Selling, head over to ninjaselling.com. Open installations are listed there if you hit the calendar button. And if you haven't yet registered for Charleston, South Carolina, starting November 7th, you may want to because Garrett and I are going to be there. And it's going to be an absolute blast. Some other coaches are going to be there. Charleston's an amazing place. It's where I live, so I'm maybe biased on it. but it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're looking for an installation, join us in Charleston. I'm planning on getting a group of people together and we're going to go TP Matt's house. So just so you know, that will be an evening event, a team building event. So yes, which will be perfect timing 
as there's a lot of things coming together then. You'd be going on the market? Well, it better be under contract by then if we're selling it. So perfect time to be TP'd. It'll probably be like the inspection will be going on at that time, which maybe they'll waive it because I'm going to do a pre-listing inspection because everybody should. You have the perfect house to TP. You've got this wonderful bank of trees along one side that just is begging for rolls of toilet paper to be thrown up into it. Oh, you could do that because uh, that's technically HOA space. That's not even my property. Oh, we'll tie it into your house. Don't worry. You can go do that all you want. <laughs> all right. I'm in. All right, folks. Well, appreciate everybody for joining us. Hope that you're having a fantastic day and that it gets even better from here. We love you very much and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, everyone. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like more, visit us at the ninjasellingpodcast.com. There you will also find links for more information about ninja selling and coaching. Have an incredible day.